background chatter going on here, but I do want to welcome everybody to the BibleQuest.tv talk show. Um, Jonathan, answer is yes. If we have issues on Facebook, please do. Let me get my other stuff going here. Please do switch over back to YouTube. Um, and make sure you're broadcasting. On, yes, I guess you are broadcasting on Zoom. Glad to see everybody here today. Glad you're able to join us. Uh, we have a very exciting program today, which could be controversy, controversial among some people. We'll find out. But if you're in the audience uh, on uh, the Zoom app, we definitely want you to join in with your comments or questions. And if you uh, want to use your audio on your computer, you absolutely can. Let me stop the sharing here. And uh, to use your audio on the Zoom app, just click the hand icon in the uh, window, in the, in the app window, and that'll tell us that you'd like to come in and ask your question, your audio, with audio. Or use the, the, the uh, chat window under the Q&A button or use the, uh, the chat window under the chat button or the Q&A button for questions and answers. If you're coming in, today we're broadcasting from Facebook so far. I think we are. And we're going to do that for a little while. We would take, we'll take turns between going on YouTube and uh, Facebook. If you're coming in on a Facebook uh, channel, go ahead and put your text in there and we'll monitor, monitor your, your questions from there. Keep in mind, Facebook does have about a 20-second delay uh, from the actual live program. So, our program director, Scott, good to see you, sir. How are you? I'm doing fine, Drew. How are you today? Doing very good. Stephen is with us also. Hi, Stephen. Good to see you. Hey, Drew. Welcome, everybody. And welcome, Jonathan. We're glad you're able to join us today. Yeah, it's good to see you guys today. Now, before we go, I, I want to, uh, well, Jeff, who's usually with us on Tuesdays, will not be here today, but I'll give him a plug for his, show, his program tomorrow. Uh, if you have a chance to listen to the Wednesday broadcast, BibleQuest broadcast, click the button at the BibleQuest.tv uh, website for Wednesday, and you'll come into that program at 3 p.m. Okay, so what are we going to talk about that I said may be controversial? Scott? Well, we're going to be talking today about uh, what our standard authority is. And we'll be talking about the importance of the standard of authority being the Word of God. So, I want to begin with an illustration. I think everybody knows what this is. What's this right here? It's a truck. It is a tape measure. Yeah, a truck. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a truck going by. Yeah, that's a tape measure. And let's suppose that you're going to have a house built, any gentleman. And it's going to be custom built, and you're talking to the contractor and the carpenters, and uh, they tell you that one of the things that they do when they build a custom house is they don't bother to use one of these. They just let each carpenter uh, use his feelings or his judgment or his opinion as to how big an opening or board length of a board should be. How's that going to go? you got to fire that guy immediately. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, that's not going to do at all. Now i got a tractor. This is like, hey, Luke, do me a favor and close that front window. All right. So, busy day in Arnsville today. So, you don't want him using his opinion or his feelings or his judgment. You want him to actually measure it. And why is it going to work if everybody 
uses a measuring tape. Well, it's the same standard. Right, right. They're going to the authoritative standard. So when we come to spiritual matters, when I walk before God, what should the standard be? Oh, well, wait a minute now. Now, that doesn't matter. That's totally different. That doesn't matter. What, what does it matter? <laughs> that's, that's really kind of the way a lot of people think. You know, if, if there is a bridge to be constructed, they want the math to be done. If there's a house to be built, they want things to be measured and checked. But in spiritual matters, oh, that's spiritual. So it's just, it's just whatever I feel. Uh, and that's not what we see in the Word of God. So we've got several scriptures up here, and somebody else might want to bring up another one. But let's mention a few of these, and then let's start talking about what's not the authority. Because there's a lot of things that people end up letting be the authority, even when they say they want to follow the Bible. But let's begin with some of these texts. So if somebody pick one of those texts, read it in comments. Well, the first one he got up there is John 8 and verse 31. Let's read that together. Uh, flipping over to John chapter 8, verse 31. Uh, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Yeah. So there's a condition. Yeah. And the condition is remain in his word. What do we learn from John ten twenty seven? John ten twenty seven reads my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So you've got the sheep that know the voice of the shepherd and the contrast in the context is, you know, they hear somebody else. They're not going to follow him. They need to know the voice of the shepherd. Right. So earlier in that chapter, they will not listen to the voice of a stranger. They listen to the voice of their shepherd. The voice of the stranger is not authoritative. It's the voice of the shepherd that they need to listen to. Sanctity 3, 16. Uh, for now, let's just read 16, 17, and 18. Uh, I got that one. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, where do you want me to stop? End uh, of the chapter. That's the end of the chapter. All right, very good. All right, and then in Ephesians 3, we kind of see... The, the, the lineup uh, or, or kind of a flow chart of how uh, authority comes. We see that we're going to see this text and watch for it that God reveals through whom? To whom? Through the Holy Spirit to his apostles and prophets. Prophets. Then he says, He, Paul, being one of those, can write it down and then we can read it and understand it. So God gives revelation through the Holy Spirit to the apostles and prophets. Paul then writes, and we can read and understand it. Somebody please read Ephesians 3, 3 through 5. Ephesians 3, starting in verse 3, uh, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Okay. And then there's another text here that we'll look at at the end of the program, Matthew 7, but 
just to remind you of it, it's not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, enters in the kingdom of heaven, but those that do the will of his father. He talks about if you listen to what I say and do it, you are like the wise man who built his house where? On a rock. Yeah. And if you hear my word and don't do it, you're like the foolish man that built his house on the sand or built it without, you know. <laughs> right. It's about 37 inches. I think this window is about, yeah, it's not going to work. All right. Now, there's a lot of people that would say, that's right. Yes, we should go by the word of God. And then they proceed not to. Why? Because it's very easy for any of us to end up using something else besides the word of God. So let's take a look at a few things that are not the standard. All right. So this is not the standard, our conscience. You run into people who begin with this principle, you know, well, as long as you do what you think you ought to do. Mm -hmm. Well, should we do what we think we shouldn't do? Is that a good idea? No. I mean, everybody's got some standard. Their their conscience is going to say that some things are right and some things are wrong. But if we really do go down that road and say, well, like everybody just needs to do what they think is right. Well, I like my neighbor's car better than I like my car. I think I should have his car. You know, if I go over there, I don't actually think this, but for the sake of illustration, you know, if I go and take it, well, now my standard of right and wrong is probably going to conflict with my neighbors. It you know? probably, <laughs> it probably standard of right and wrong. And yeah. so if we live, and this is really the direction that the culture in our country has been going for a long time is to relativism where yeah. everybody is just kind of has their own truth, their own standard of morality and there's nothing really objective about it. And that leads to a very dark place. It really does. And the people that say it wouldn't follow through. Because even, even though they'll say things like, anything you think is right, it's your truth, as long as you do what you think you ought to do. Well, they also put a caveat on that, as long as you don't hurt somebody else. Wow, yes. And if you, if you put that caveat, it at least presents this, prevents this. What does the suicide, what's the motive of the suicide bomber when he pushes a button and blows himself up in a bunch of innocent people? Not to do good to other people. And he, yeah, he's intending to kill them, but he's doing what he thinks is right. He thinks he's pleasing Allah and he thinks he's about to get his 72 virgins. He thinks what he's doing is right. Uh, And can you think of somebody in the Bible who thought what he was doing was right? Uh, Saul of Tarsus? Yeah. So in Acts 23, 1, he said that he had lived his life in all good conscience. How could the chiefest of sinners say that he had lived in all good conscience? Because he thought he was doing right according to the law of Moses. Yeah, he really thought that Jesus was a false Uh, Acts 26. Yeah. Somebody read Acts 26, verse 9 for us. Acts 26, verse 9. This is Saul, uh, now Paul, speaking. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. All right. So maybe just a quick illustration on the conscience and then we'll move on. It's not that the conscience isn't important. The conscience is really, really important. Is an alarm clock important? 
it can be vitally important. <laughs> yeah, it's very important. Is it important if it's not set right? Or is it valuable if it's not set right? <laughs> yeah, it's important, but it's not going to help you if it's not set right. Right, right. So same with our conscience. It's not that we don't need consciences, but we need to educate our conscience by the word of God. Uh, setting that alarm, you know, when you're on the other side of the world and you forgot to adjust for a different time zone, you're going to have problems. All right, so let's go to another thing that's not the standard, our feelings. You ever heard somebody say, I wouldn't trade the feeling that I've got in here for a stack of Bibles. And a lot of people, they go by their feelings. Well, I feel. What's the problem with that? We all feel differently. Feelings come and go. Yes. What else? Our feelings uh, don't make something right or wrong. And, I mean, we've all experienced this in our own life where we expect something. We Our feelings tell us that something's going to happen. And then it doesn't, uh, or something right. unexpected happens that we weren't, you know, uh, anticipating. When they brought the coat of many colors ripped up and bloody from the blood of an animal and showed it to Jacob and said, is this your son's coat? How did Jacob feel? He really felt like Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. He said, without a doubt, he's torn to pieces and he, they tried to comfort him. He wouldn't be comforted. He said, I'll go to my grave in mourning. Now, I want to ask a question. Think about this. And by the way, we'd like our audience to chime in here. If you've got questions or comments, uh, please uh, comment. And Drew, how can they do that? They just have to uh, click on the, uh, the chat button or the Q&A button and type away if they're doing it on the Zoom app, or if they're, they're doing it in Facebook, just type in the comment box. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. All right, so back to Jacob. He absolutely feels that Joseph is dead. Joseph's per perfectly healthy and on the way to Egypt. Here's my question. If Joseph had actually been dead, would Jacob have felt any worse? No. No, he felt the same because he really believed it to be true. Yes. Feelings are our emotions based on what we believe the facts are. For example, feelings are very important in, in our worship. One of the reasons we take the Lord's Supper is to remind ourselves emotionally and intellectually of what Jesus did for us. Should it cause feeling to reflect on the death and sacrifice of Christ? Absolutely. Yes, but the feelings are based on what he did. If your feelings are not based on fact, then your feelings are like Jacob's feelings. Absolutely intense, just as intense as if he would have been right. Sorry about that. Just as tense as if he would have been right, but he wasn't. All right, next, let's take a look at our reasoning. Lots of times people think, well, I believe this is what God would want because A, B, C, D, E. Uh, for example, put yourself in the shoes of Uzzah. Uzzah sees the ark, which somebody has put on a cart, being pulled by oxen, and the oxen stumble, and it looks like God's ark might fall. Who among us would think that it would be good for the ark of God to fall in the dirt? No. I mean, you're going to 
want to do whatever you can to save that. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think this was a long processed reasoning. I think it was an instant re- Oh, in rapture. I've got to stop that. So what it does it do? He reached out and touched the ark because the uh, oxen stumbled. And what happened? The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. Yeah. How should the ark have been carried? On the poles by the priests, like God had already told him to do. Yeah. Second uh, Kings 5, Naaman comes, and he's heard that there's a prophet that can heal his leprosy, and he's come with some wealth to give as a gift, and he thought, he said, behold, I thought the prophet would come out to me he would wave his arms and he would call upon the name of his God and I would be healed. Is that what God did? No. Instead, the prophet didn't even come out. He just sent a servant out and told him to go dip in what? The Jordan River. Yeah. How'd that strike Naaman? said there are plenty of rivers uh, back in Damascus that are way better than this. Yeah. Yeah. This, I'm not going to dip in that river. And behold, I thought, this is what he would do. Well, that was, and when his servant got him to humble himself and do what God said to do, and he went and he dipped in that Jordan River, what happened? He was healed. Yeah. What if he had continued following his reasoning that that shouldn't be the way God would do it? Wouldn't get the job done. What a died yeah. a leper. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thoughts or comments so far? Yeah, we had a couple of comments come in a little bit earlier from Danielle. I think when we were talking about our conscience and the different standards, and she had said, like, unless that person is evil, like a school shooter or a dictator, which, of course, that person might be convinced in their own mind, their own conscience, that what they're doing is right in some twisted way. Um, and that doesn't make it right. And she also comments, you know, there's always a caveat to the caveat. Um, and, yeah, that's true, that we can always come up with some – way when we want something to be true or we somehow uh, want to justify our actions in our own mind, um, it's easy for us to do that. And that's why it's so important what we're talking about today, coming back to the word of God, because there's tons of times where we're raised in a certain way. And I know we'll talk more about this in just a minute, or we just want something to be true. We want God to have said any number of things on a subject. When we start to get our feelings involved and our reasoning and in our conscience that, Oh, that doesn't feel right to me. or This feels right to me. Um, it, we can just end up in all kinds of bad places. Yeah. Right. Right. And there's, there's going to be a lack of unity. If everybody's following their own conscience, their own feelings, their own reason. And that's, that's not following God. Yeah. I might make just a side note real quick before we leave that point of conscience is that there are some times where in addition to following God's word that in places like Romans 14 uh, or other, other scriptures, if our conscience says that we ought not to do something, we should refrain from doing that. Um, now, we should be training our conscience, but there are times in scripture where it says, you know, the one who thinks that eating meat is wrong is condemned if he eats meat. Um, if our conscience is telling you that that's wrong, I can't do this in faith, we do need to not, not violate our conscience in those instances. Now, we can't bind our conscience on somebody else in those instances, but we do need to uh, follow our conscience in that regard. Yeah, and let's explore that just for a minute to kind of bring it out. So if I'm a Jew, and let's say in the first century in Rome, 
And even though in the revelation of the gospel, there's no restriction on what meat I eat, my past upbringing as a Jew and familiarity with Torah is that, oh, you can't eat pork, I can't eat bacon. If I'm at your house and I smell that bacon and I realize that smells... Behold, it was very good. You know, and I think God doesn't want me to eat it, but I go ahead and eat it. It's not that I broke God's ordinance, but what attitude is in my heart? That you're going against your conscience. Yeah, you're disregarding what you think is right and wrong. Right. In my heart, I'm willing to do what God doesn't want me to do. So if if I came home and one of my kids quickly hides, uh, you know, a, a bag of cookies and gets come out and goes like this, and I find out that they thought mom said, don't eat the cookies, and it turns out she didn't. So is the child not in trouble? Well, the child clearly, by their quickly hiding it, they thought it was wrong. And so for them, it would still be wrong. Right, right. If they were trying to disobey mom, they're in trouble. And so there are some cases where we need to follow our conscience. Go ahead, Stephen. Uh, Danielle had a clarification on my comment a minute ago. She said that in reference to the, as long as you don't hurt someone else, as long as you don't kill someone, do what you think is right argument. So those were, that was the context for her earlier comments. Thanks. Right. right. Okay. Now let's go to a few more of these. Uh, religious tradition. Um, Drew, you were brought up uh, Roman Catholic. Describe what uh, the place of religious sacred tradition within Roman Catholicism. I'm not understanding your question. The place? Oh, in other words, like in um, one of my uh, catechisms I got, that's a Roman Catholic catechism, it says in there that the Word of God is not just in the Bible. The Word of God is partly in the Bible, and the Word of God is partly in the sacred tradition of the church. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the uh, authority, and that's what the topic is that we're talking about. Uh, I was told specifically... I was taught all my life, but the priest told me straight in my face where I, where I was making my mistake was that you had to, I had to understand that church tradition is above Bible statements as far as authority. And that reminds us of there was a group of people that made the same argument in the first century. There was a group of people that had some oral traditions that they followed and and thought that they needed to follow, and they tried to bind them on other people, and they were the Pharisees. And so in Mark chapter 7, somebody take a look at that path and either describe it or read it, and let's see what Jesus says about that. Well, while you're going there, Pharisees, you're talking about very religious men. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. There's a lot of between rabbinical Phariseeism and uh, Roman Catholicism whole lot of similarities and this is one of them right mark chapter 7 somebody has that yeah so mark chapter 7 uh verse 1 now when the pharisees gathered to him that is jesus with some of the scribes who had come from jerusalem they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled that is unwashed and then he has kind of a parenthetical note verse 3 and 4 
for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, according to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So verse 5, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with undefiled hands? And Jesus has some notice, strong words. Go ahead. Yes, and notice, they're not saying, why don't they follow the word of God? The old, the old law, the law of Moses, had certain regulations about before the priest went in the temple, he had to wash. If you touched a dead body, you had to wash. If you were unclean due to various reasons uh, spe specified, you were to wash. But that's not what they're following here. They're not saying, why don't you follow the scripture? This is another body that the, of, of ideas that they treat as authoritative. And in their question, they acknowledge it's not scripture, but the tradition of the elders. And what does Jesus say? Verse 6, he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And then he gives an, another example of this in verse 9. Full well do you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Moses said, honor your father and mother. But then he goes on to say, you've got this thing where you say, if they said Corban, they don't have to do that. And so he said, you end up following your tradition instead of the word of God. Notice, honor your father and mother. Is that a religious tradition or is that written scripture? That's written scripture. That's straight out of the Ten Commandments. Yeah. So Jesus rejects their appeal here to these traditions and points them back to the word of God. All right. Now, similarly, but a little bit different, uh, this was kind of like an official thing. But you know what we can do sometimes? We can make traditions out of just, well, that's the way we've always done it. So if I'm in a congregation and somebody comes in and points out, you're not doing what the Bible says right here. And I say, oh, but we've always done it that way. And we're Christians. You know, we're we're, we're the Lord's church, we're Christians, so if we're doing it, it's what the Lord wants, and so you ever seen that kind of mentality? Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to understand the difference between these first two. So religious tradition, your, your first point on this slide, you're saying kind or of it's like... it's an official... The, like, yeah, the, the religious tradition of others, and like mm -hmm. those who have gone before us, versus what we've already known. And do not so much that is more formal and informal. Okay. Uh, the, the Pharisees are referring to a body, the tradition of the elders in Roman Catholicism. It's sacred tradition that we got from the church fathers, etc., etc., etc. And it's a very official thing. There's other things that we just get in the habit of doing it this way. Okay, gotcha. So it's more like formal religious tradition versus yeah. informal religious right, tradition. Right, okay, right. gotcha. And so you know, maybe we just always do this this way because we've done it that way for years. Like, I, I'll tell you one time, uh, I went, fellow went to hear a lesson 
uh, at another place, and he came back, and he was concerned. He said, that was wrong because I've been going to the church for 40 years, and I've never seen that. Wow. Well, so he's measuring whether or not it was right or wrong by whether or not he had seen it in a church. That's, that's not it. And we'll get to the church thing a little bit later. But we can get comfortable, and, you know, once we become a Christian, I'm a child of God, I'm a member of the body of Christ, and then we can start making circular reasoning and assuming that since what we as Christians do is what Christians are to do, then if we do it, it's a Christian thing to do, and it's what God wanted. And we've left out the real standard of authority there. Let's illustrate it like this. Apollos. Was he an eloquent speaker? Oh, yeah. Excellent, yes. The text also says he knew accurately things about Jesus. And he taught, and he was very, very effective. But there was one deficit in his knowledge. What was the deficit in his knowledge? He only knew about the baptism of John the Baptist. He didn't know anything about the baptism uh, by Jesus Christ. So even though he's teaching Jesus Christ, he's still teaching the baptism of John. What do Aquila and Priscilla do for him in Acts 18, 24 through 26? They hear him speaking. And then uh, verse 26, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, at this point, should Apollos say, uh, Aquila, Priscilla, thanks. I appreciate your intentions here and your concern, but you need to understand I'm an eloquent man. I teach accurately the things of Jesus. Uh, this is what I've been teaching for a few years now. Uh, obviously, God's pleased with this. is what I've been doing. No, that's not the thing to do. When he finds out more of the word that he didn't realize, what does Apollos do? He accepts it. It seems that he turns and he, uh, it's not spelled out in the text, but he can, goes on to uh, receive a letter of recommendation. So they, he listened. He was teachable. That's right. We need to stay teachable and not let ourselves become the standard, which we'll reinforce again in a minute. Yeah. All right. Would you say that uh, this is the same principle we find in uh, like Mark chapter 9, where John sees some other guys casting out demons in the name of Jesus, and he says, uh, you know, we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Oh. And Jesus God. says, don't stop him. For the one who does a mighty work in my name will not be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who's not against us is for us. Yeah, we, we can get focused on the wrong things. All right. Um, we need to pick up our pace a little bit here. So let's go through this next one pretty quick. How about, you know, brother so-and-so believes this or stands for this or, or lives this way. And, you know, he's, he's – uh, owns a pretty wealthy business in town and it's pretty influential. And so we're going to go along with what he says. Uh, or of course there's James two, where it says you don't treat the rich brother differently, but what about Leviticus 10 in Leviticus 10, nine in Leviticus nine, it says over and over that they did that, which would have been commanded to Moses. And they did the things that Moses commanded. They did these things as Moses commanded them. Then you get to Leviticus 10, and it says, Nadab and Abihu took their censers and offered fire that Moses had not commanded them. So there's a change here. How does God react to this? When they offer this unauthorized fire in Leviticus 10.3, then fire comes out from before the Lord. 
and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now, who are Nadab and Abihu? Who's their daddy? Priests. Yeah, Aaron, the high priest, the very first high priest. Who's their uncle? Moses. Does the fact that Aaron is their father and Moses is their uncle make it right? No. If anything, it makes it even more wrong because they should have known better. Right, right. Okay, uh, next one. Uh, preachers are not the standard. Uh, I wanted to have time to go through this text in a little detail. We don't, so let's just kind of sum it up. This is not exactly a preacher, but prophets in the Old Testament did preach the Word of God, and so we'll use this lesson there to apply to anybody teaching the Word of God. In 1 Kings chapter 13, God assigns a prophet from Judah to go up and make a proclamation against, um, uh, oh, all of a sudden I forgot. <laughs> the altar. Yeah. Uh, idols that he put up. And all through this text, it says, when he went up there, he went up there by what? By the word of the Lord. And then he made a proclamation against it by the word, word of the Lord. And the king started to have him arrested. He said, Caesar, his hand draws up and he can't pull it back. And he asked him after the miracle is done and, and it's split, uh, the altar. Then he says, please pray the Lord and ask him to heal my hand. Well, he does that for him and his hand is good again. And then the king says, come back and, and I'll give you a reward. What does the prophet from Judah say? He says, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Um, it was commanded to me by the word of the Lord saying, you're not going to eat bread or drink water or return by the way that you came. And so he goes back another way. So, so far he's a hero. Everything he's doing is by the word of the Lord and he's doing real well until there's an older prophet up there that wants to talk to him. And he hears about this and he wants to talk to him. So he sends his sons, he asks where his son asks where they went. They saddle up the animal for him and he takes off after him and he, catches up to him and says, come back to my house and, and eat with me. I want to talk with you. And the prophet from Judah says, what? Oh, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it because I was told not to do it by the Lord. Right? By the word of the Lord. Exactly. Yeah. Then in verse 13, the older prophet said. That, verse, eight, verse 18. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Eight, 18. I too am a prophet as you are, and an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. And then the text says. But he lied to him. He lied to him. The prophet from Judah has done really well, say, going by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord. But now when another religious teacher says, no, 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 an angel told me by the word of the Lord, you're supposed to do this over here. What did the prophet from Judah do? Okay. He went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And who does God bring an immediate judgment on in this text for that? The, the younger prophet. Yeah. And the older prophet then mourns it and he's sorry about it. But even in his own words, when he gives a prophecy, because he didn't obey the word of the Lord. So don't trade what a preacher says. Don't trade what anybody on Bible Quest or your preacher or a preacher online or a TV preacher. Or don't trade what a preacher says for what God says. 
And also, 2 Timothy 4 says that the time was going to come when people would have itching ears and look for people to tell them what they want to hear. Well, what about the preacher then who gets up and says, oh, the Lord told me last night, guys, this is the word of the Lord. Yeah, don't listen to that. Back to our uh, original, one of our original texts, John 10, Jesus' sheep won't listen to the voice of a stranger. John 10, 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. Isn't that a beautiful thing that we have the solid word of God that was written down nearly 2,000 years ago and it doesn't and hasn't changed so we can know what that word of the Lord is. So follow the word of the Lord, not what preachers say the word of the Lord is. You know, and uh, you, you, can, you can wave a Bible around and you can read a few verses and then say some things and people will sometimes confuse it and think that what you said as a preacher was in the word. When you read, I had a visitor, uh, we had a visitor at church on Sunday, and he said, now when you're up there preaching, you're prophesying. And I said, no. I said, the prophecy is from the apostles and prophets. They're the inspired ones. When I'm commenting about it, that's my words. And he said, yeah, but the Holy Spirit's moving you. I said, I've heard enough stupid things from pulpits and said enough dumb things from pulpits. I said, everything said in a pulpit is the word of God. There needs to be a clear difference between here's what the word says, and now you can comment and discuss the sense of it, like back in the days of Ezra, and you can give some illustrations, help people focus on it, and exhort people to follow it, but this has to be the word. Stephen. You know, and that reminds me of, there's a tradition, I mean, that I think goes back maybe even to the book of Ezra, um, but you see Jesus do it in uh, Luke chapter four, when he reads in the synagogue, they would stand up to read the word. And then he sat down and that, that's what they would do is they would stand up to read the words of God and then sit down to comment on it. And uh, of course, Jesus is God. Uh, and he says, you know, this today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, but it's really interesting to think about that distinction being made and uh, I'm not saying it's a requirement everybody has to do, but that might be a helpful exercise to do sometime. Uh, you know, to yeah. when when scripture is being read, you stand, and when comments are being made on the scripture, you sit. <laughs> Just so there's a very clear distinction. Uh, Scott, yes. So far, you've been talking about what not is not the standard, and we're getting close to the end of the time. So if you. Move it yeah, along. We all, we'll move on here real quick. Let me say one word about study Bibles. If you've got a study Bible, so many times you're studying somebody and they read the word of God and you've called them to look at a verse that they need to see. They look at it and you see they're startled by it. And then they look down here. Oh, oh, this says that doesn't mean that. That's, that's listening to somebody other than the word of God. Go by the word. All right, real quickly. Uh, also, elders are not the standard. In Acts 20, it said, Paul said to the elders, I know that after I leave, grievous walls are going to arrive, arise from your own selves, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. When elders do that, what do the sheep of Jesus need to do? Hear the voice of the good shepherd and follow him. First Timothy 5.20, uh, Timothy is told when elders sin, do what? Them and publicly. The church, the church is not the standard. We alluded to this idea before. A lot of people think, well, but my church says. Well, but the church, but we're the church and we do this. The church is not the authority. The church 
is sinners that needed grace and guidance from God. And we come and we're saved by the grace of God and we commit ourselves to following his word. Where in there do we become the authority? Well, this is where you get a lot of red flags going up the moment you say that. The church is not the authority? The church is not the authority. The church is the enemies of God that sinned against him, who Jesus died for, that then repent. And in repenting, they're doing what? They're turning from saying, I'm going to do what I want to do, to I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do. And that means doing what he said. Jesus said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but those that do the will of my Father who is in heaven. We don't become the authority. We submit to God's authority. Colossians 1.18, which is the head, Jesus or the church? Jesus is the head. Yeah, yeah. The, the body is not the one in control. It's the one that is in be controlled. So uh, these things are not the standards. It is not... To enough to say, well, as long as you do what you think is right. Oh, but I feel this way. Well, I think this. It's not uh, what my church has official religion, or, well, we just always thought this or done that, or, well, you got to consider who he is. He's real important. Or it's not, well, but my preacher said this. Well, but the elders said we should do that anyway. Or, but the church does this. No, the authority needs to be walked. The Holy Word of God. The Word of God. Read all of these other texts. Somebody close us out with uh, Matthew seven thirteen through twenty seven. And if there's any time left, comment afterwards. Matthew thirteen, or excuse me, Matthew seven, beginning in verse thirteen. Jesus said, "Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many." For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them. Now let's drop What was that? Now let's drop down to 21. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Scott, you know what's interesting about that? If you just back up to verse 7, it appears that Jesus is saying almost the opposite thing. So maybe you can explain it. But in verse 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And yet, what you just read, Stephen, appears that something's the opposite of that. Well, where should we seek? We should seek. Remember, remember back in Proverbs, it talks about the Lord gives wisdom and such. Seek for it as silver. If, if, if Jesus has given us his word, then where should I seek? Or his 
Look to what Jesus said. In fact, let's keep reading the end there of Matthew 7 and listen to the focus. Everyone that hears, what? Verse 24. These words of mine. Everyone that hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rain descended, floods came, the winds blew, beat upon the house. It fell not because it was founded on the rock. That, Jesus is saying, is a person that hears what Jesus said and does it. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and follow me. Everyone that hears these words of mine and does them not will be like a foolish man that built his house on the sand. Yeah. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and what happened to the house? Fell. And great was its fall. So bottom line, if you're building a house, use one of these. If you're looking for the answer to a spiritual issue, use one of these. Amen. Amen. Well, that just puts it perfectly at the right time. We've ran out of time, actually, so we want to thank everyone who... uh, here today all of you in the audience we invite you back again next tuesday at 2 p.m and it was great seeing you guys and look forward to seeing you next time thank you very much thanks guys